it's the death of your dreams. I don't just mean Panthers winning the Super Bowl, although why did you stock anything in that dream anyway, right? <clears throat> no, I mean, I mean life dreams. So I know some of you probably have thoughts or are thinking right now, my marriage isn't what I dreamed it would be. Or I really dreamed that I would be married. Or we always dream that having kids wouldn't get in, in the way of the things we really want to do. Or, man, I never dreamed I would be doing this job. Never imagined in my 20s that my 30s would be like this. I never imagined when I was 30 that my 40s would be like that, and so on. Never dreamed there would be so much challenge and so much disappointment. So there are a lot of reasons why our dreams die. Uh, sometimes it's because of an unforeseeable tragedy. Sometimes it's because things just don't turn out the way that we hoped, the way that we planned. Sometimes it's because we haven't worked hard enough to achieve those dreams that we've made. And sometimes it's because we just have the wrong dreams. Sometimes it's because, like Elliot was singing about, our dreams have been Americanized. And the kicker about the American dream is that people never feel like it's quite satisfied, quite made it, you've quite achieved it, because it's a dream that's defined by getting to the next level, getting to the next socioeconomic level, getting to the next level of success, getting to the next level at work, getting to the next level of relational fulfillment, whatever that next level is. And in doing so, a lot of the things that are critical to an authentic and a real life don't have place within that kind of dream, don't have place when you're on that kind of achievatron, moving on to the next level. Things like stopping, resting, suffering, lamenting, simplicity, radical generosity, being ambitiously present, in other words, this American dream that's really common is continually unsatisfying. It's, it falls short of leading us toward true fullness of life. It, to use the title of Eliot's album that Calm Americans has taken from, it's, it's one of those false cathedrals. It's one of those, those things that we set up as an idol and we worship it, but then we're disappointed because it's not real. And that's just one. The American dream is just one of those kinds of dreams. So the question to begin with is what, what dream have you put your hope in but is continuing to disappoint you? And what if it were possible if your life dream didn't disappoint you? What if you could exchange the American dream or, or whatever dream that you're putting your hope in for another kind of dream of another kind of empire, of another kind of economy, an economy of grace where authentic human life and radical generosity and genuine satisfaction are interwoven together. And if that's true, if that's real, that kind of dream, which I believe it is, uh, there's a paradox right at the heart of that dream. And last week we looked at the research of these sociologists, Christian Smith and, and Hilary Davidson, who expressed the paradox this way. They said, 
In giving, we receive, but in grasping, we lose. And yet, despite what they call this as a, a sociological fact, this, this is real, this is true, yet a majority of, Amer- of Americans cling to what you might describe as ungenerous dreams or ungenerous lifestyles. And this plays into, I think, why we struggle to embrace the, the invitation and the cost and the challenge of following Jesus, which is an invitation to be spent. Um, that idea of spent, I've talked to some people after last week's talk and, and said, that just has lots of negative connotations for me, right? Spent means exhausted. Spent means getting to the end of your rope, being burned out. And that, that's exactly our, our usual connotation, and so I've chosen that very, very intentionally as the title of this series because it's the kind of life that Jesus offers actually subverts our dreams, turns things upside down, takes something that we think might be negative, might be draining, and actually shows us that that is actually life-giving and, and invites us into that. So to be spent as we follow Jesus, is not about working ourselves into the ground. It's not about being emotionally unhealthy. It's not about forgetting to care for ourselves. And it's all about living within natural human limits and experiencing authentic human existence as radical generosity, as being spent, our our time and energy and attention and money and skills being spent as we love God and other people and follow Jesus together. So it's a lifestyle rooted in the generosity of God, rooted in the generosity of God demonstrated in Jesus that though he had everything, he became nothing. So that even though we have nothing, we can have all that we need and we can be rich toward God. So this series is about exploring what it means to be spent as we follow Jesus. And we're going to do that by focusing on Jesus' stories. Jesus' stories that he told as he was traveling around first century Palestine. And Jesus taught in lots of different ways to lots of different kinds of people. But his go-to form of teaching was stories, parables. These stories with a point. It seems like every opportunity Jesus is telling a parable. And I think it's because Jesus knows that information, our direct communication, and data can be easily ignored and rejected, but a story, a story kind of slips behind our natural defenses. It it engages our imagination. It it invites us into a story so we start to identify with characters and we get carried along and we find ourselves within it. And so we are personally challenged. Instead of just dealing with impersonal truths, we're invited into it. And every time Jesus tells one of these stories, one of these parables, he brings people to a point of decision, and there's these implied questions that are directed straight at us, these questions of, how would you respond in that situation? Will you be like this person or not? Will you accept this offer? And so we're going to look at one of those parables today. It's uh, a parable that's usually called the parable of the rich fool, uh, according to (laughs) subtitles that aren't These subtitles in our Bibles are not a part of the original, uh, but they're just editors trying to make sense of of things as as they go along. Uh, I think I like Eugene Peterson's title better. He calls it The Story of the Greedy Farmer, and it's found in Luke 12. So if you have a Bible, a physical one or one on your phone, you could flip there to Luke 12. 
And this starts in verse 13. Now, Jesus usually tells a parable in response to something that's just happened or in response to a question from someone. So he does that this time. Someone's in the crowd where he's teaching, and this guy asks this question to Jesus. He says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus wasn't surprised by this question. This is a really normal question to ask because in the ancient world, inheritances were a big deal. You were far more likely to get rich with an inheritance than you were to just earning more money in your job. And inheritance were, were the thing. And so these disputes about inheritances were, were really common. How, how are they going to be divided? And in order to settle those disputes, Jewish people would go to the village rabbi. Uh, the rabbi was not only the village teacher, but the rabbi was the village judge who settled disputes like this. So Jesus was considered one of these rabbis. And so it's natural for a guy to come and ask him, what should I do with my inheritance? Hoping that Jesus will judge this issue. Supposedly he's, he's being slighted by his inheritance and he wants Jesus to make it right. But Jesus changes the subject entirely. It's not because he doesn't care about that, he doesn't think it's important, or he doesn't have the authority to deal with it. But every time he can, Jesus wants to go to the deeper issue. He wants to go to the heart. And so he changes the subject to get there, to address the heart issue. And so here's how he responds. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's kind of strange. This man is just hoping that Jesus will settle this dispute over this inheritance. Uh, but Jesus is exposing what's really going on, what his motivations are, what his driving passion is, what his dream is. Because he's saying, watch out for this insatiable thirst for more. That's what greed means. The original Greek word that's translated greed means insatiable thirst for more. And so greed is like this thirst that you try to quench by drinking salt water. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to drink salt water? <laughs> um, I haven't either. I'm glad none of you have tried this. It just makes you more and more thirsty because of the salt levels. And as you drink more and more, you get thirstier and thirstier. It will, it will eventually kill you. And Jesus is saying, stop trying to quench your thirst with getting more and more because that's not what life is all about. Life isn't about how much stuff you get. And he, the implied question already is, do you believe that? I mean, maybe you'd say, yeah, yeah, I believe life isn't about how much stuff I have. But I mean, do you really believe that? In other words, do you live it? Is this something that you feel in your bones and you know is true and so you're living out of that kind of truth? That's what Jesus wants us to be wrestling with. And so he tells a story. He tells a parable. I'm going to read the whole thing and then go back and look at the various parts of it. So he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store all my crops. He said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. 
I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for years, so take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So to go back to the beginning, the story begins here with this farmer who has this huge bumper crop, and so he has a problem, right? Uh, We're not really meant to feel sorry for him. It's like, oh man, what am I going to do? I've got four sports cars. What am I going to do? I can't fit this massive TV in my basement. Man, that's how it would have struck a first century audience. And, And what's striking is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, well, I guess I could sell two of those cars. I guess I, guess I could get a smaller TV that will actually fit in my basement. I guess I could just give some grain away to my neighbors. No, he, that's not where he goes. He goes, I know, I'll build bigger barns. Obviously. I'll build, I'll build a new house with a bigger basement. I'll build a bigger garage so I can fit those four sports cars in there. And then, once, once I've expanded then I can really kick back and enjoy this, finally. In other words, so he's doing three things to solve this this surplus problem that he has. He's expanding, he's saving up everything for himself, and then he's sitting back to enjoy it. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't saying that any of that is wrong. Having a surplus is not wrong. Saving is not wrong. Enjoying God's gifts like that is not inherently wrong. What's wrong is the underlying attitude that Jesus senses is driving this guy's, this guy's life. The, the life orientation, the heart posture, the dream out of which this guy is living. And then how that deep internal reality is driving his habits and his actions and his lifestyle. The pastor and writer Eugene Peterson once wrote, Greed is a nearly invisible sin a tiny parasite that makes its home in the intestines of wealth. And Jesus is trying to expose it. Jesus is saying that there's there's two fundamentally different postures you can have toward being successful, getting more stuff, and you can feel them in your gut. That's where it starts. And, And one is represented by the farmer, which is, oh, good, more for me. And the other is represented by those who take part in God's kingdom, those who take part in this economy of grace, which is, oh good, more to share. Two fundamentally different postures. And Jesus is not condemning the wealth, the possessions, the property. He's condemning the greed. He's condemning that internal reality that is all-pervasive. And avoiding it, avoiding that parasite of greed means enjoying what God has given us while simultaneously living with open hands and open lives and open hearts and experiencing the pleasure of giving it away. So it's a paradox. Giving we gain and grasping we lose. There's this satisfaction in receiving and giving away, being spent. 
So Jesus then talks about why this is actually a wiser way to live, why it's a more satisfying, fulfilling way to live. And so we see first in verse 20, he says, one reason is your life could end at any moment. And let's be honest, this is something we don't like to think about, especially for those of us who are younger. Kind of, yeah, yeah, sure, my life could end at any moment. But really, life is fragile. Life um, is uncertain. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so Jesus is saying, how you spend today represents how you're spending your life. Not the decisions you make tomorrow, not the goals that you've made for three months down the road when you have things kind of all aligned. Now, today, is how you've decided to live. And we have this piece of artwork hanging in our kitchen that has Annie Dillard's words, very similar. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. In other words, it's how we spend today that matters. And so Jesus is pushing us to that point of decision. How will we respond? And, of course, you can respond in two very different ways to that reality that life is fragile, that life is uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You could say, that's all the more reason to enjoy, eat, drink, be merry, center my life around my own needs and my desires, spend for me. Because I don't know if I'm going to have it tomorrow. But if you do that, Jesus says and your life ends abruptly, I mean, what's going to happen to everything that you've accomplished? What's going to happen to all of those things that you've stored up for yourself? And the image that I get here is of this abandoned building that's been taken over by squatters. So if the farmer died, it would, it would be his abandoned barns. But I got this image in my head. This is the Centro Financiero con Finanzas, or Torre David in Caracas, Venezuela. If any of you have seen Homeland, episode uh, three of season three, this is where Brody is holed up. If you haven't seen it, I won't give anything else away, but the point is, what you see in Homeland is exactly the reality, which is, here's a 45-story abandoned skyscraper. Construction began in 1990 under the direction of David Brillenberg, one of the wealthiest elites of Venezuela, but then ended abruptly in 1994 because David Brillenberg died. And there was a Venezuelan banking crisis. And so this thing that he was building as, as a monument to wealth in a lot of ways, surrounded by poverty, is suddenly abandoned, taken over by squatters. In 2007, actually, uh, a gang took over uh, the Torre David. And it just became a cauldron of human trafficking, prostitution, drugs, about 3,000 people um, living in this building. And this is what happens, Jesus is saying. If you're living for yourself, if you're storing up things for yourself and are not rich toward God, this is a picture of what your life will become. I think that it's currently being evacuated because Chinese investors bought it and are going to, to actually complete the project. But for me, that, that still stands as a, as a tragic sign of, of ephemeral wealth and of the drastic disparity between between the wealthy and the poor. And I think if Jesus had told this parable today, he would have said something like, do you want your life to be like Torre David? Do you want to keep clamoring for more and more and better and bigger? 
only to leave behind a pile of rubble when you die, because that's what will happen. Or do you want to invest in something that will last? Do you want to leave behind something that will enrich people's lives? Not only in this life, but in the next life. And again, Jesus comes back to this in verse 21. The problem is is not storing up stuff for yourself. The problem is storing up stuff if you are not rich toward God. So storing up stuff without caring about the dreams that God has for your life. And Eugene Peterson paraphrases that last verse in this way. That's what happens when you fill your barns with self and not with God. And elsewhere, Jesus teaches, this is why you you can't be greedy for stuff and greedy for God at the same time. You can't serve wealth and serve God at the same time. You can't live for wealth and live for God at the same time. It doesn't work. There's not enough room. And right after telling the parable, then Jesus gets really practical. He says, there's a difference then between living with worry about getting more and more and living with contentment. Because if your ultimate dream is to enjoy more wealth, you're gulping salt water. You're always going to be worrying about getting to the next level, worrying about having more. And whatever you grasp, you'll lose. But if your ultimate dream is getting more of God, then you can actually be content with what you have, deeply content with what you have. And in giving, you'll gain. So if your ultimate dream is more wealth, generosity is going to be a struggle if it's existent at all in your lifestyle. But if your ultimate dream is getting more of God, then generosity is this very natural thing. Because the more you give, the more opportunity you have to experience God's provision and God's grace and God's presence in your life. So last week I introduced this concept of responding to an offer based on how this is done in in improv theater. So in in improv, anything an actor does or says is an offer. So for example, I could say, hey Bob, there's a tarantula dangling over your head right now. And at that point you have three options to respond to this offer. (laughs) So you have three options. You can block it, you can accept it, or you can over accept that offer. So um, one option is you could say, no, there isn't. It's not a tarantula over my head. Um, and that's safe, right? It's safe because you've killed the story. Um, there, there's nothing to develop. There's no, there's no story anymore. It's, it's not interesting. It's not, it's not creative. It's not courageous. So it's bad improv. Uh, but another option is you could accept my offer. You could say, huh, would you look at that? There is a tarantula dangling over my head. <laughs> but you could, maybe the motivation for accepting that offer is just kind of to humor me, because that's a stupid offer, or um, because you don't want to be obstinate, you kind of want to play along. Um, And so that's actually not good improv either, because it doesn't continue the story, it just pleases me. Um, What makes for the best improv is over-accepting an offer. So if you say, yes, and it's not just any kind of tarantula, it is a tarantula from the future who's come to deliver you a message... Do you, want to, do you want me to read it for you? you know, this, is what, this is what actors do. They take that story, they say yes, and, and they continue developing it 
to something more interesting. They keep the story going. So you, it's completely buying into the story and then developing it in new and creative ways that moves that story along. Three options to respond to an offer. And I would say every parable is an offer, several offers that Jesus is making to us. And each time we can respond it in those three ways. We can block the offer, we can accept it, we can over-accept it. And today's parable has helped us see that to varying extents, all of us struggle with, with chasing after dreams that involve filling our lives with self, with self-riches, whatever that is, wealth or whatever, any, anything else. But today's parable has invited us to chase after another dream, God's dream for our lives. And the offer of that dream is fill your life with God's riches. That's the offer. And it's up to you to block it, accept it, or over-accept it. So you could block it very easily. You could say, no, no, I'm very content with my dreams. I'm very content with keeping myself at the center of those dreams and making myself happy. So if it makes me happy to be generous, I'll be generous, but not because that's motivated by any kind of divine generosity or anything like that. So blocking the offer is the irreligious response, is what I would call it. And it might make the most sense. Often it does, kind of at first blush, make the most sense. No, that's, that's too challenging. I don't believe that. No. Uh, but Jesus is warning us, that's not going to be satisfying for you. Whether or not it's true, it's not going to be satisfying, and it leads to a future that's not going to be satisfying. So... Another option, if you don't block it, is to accept the offer, to say, yeah, I, I can see that this dream is better. I want to be rich toward God. Um, so I'm going to start being more gen- I'm going to start doing lots of really good religious stuff to be more generous. And then I think that God will be more pleased with me then, right? If I do that, he'll, he'll respond to that and kind of give me more. So I'm going to do, do, do. I'm going I'm to give, give, give because that's the right thing to do. Now, that might seem like it's a better response than blocking because you're actually responding positively to the offer. But, but the motivation is, is off. It's, uh, it's the wrong story. It's getting the story backwards, actually, because God doesn't accept you because you accept his offer to, of life with him and the, and the offer of being generous. God accepts you before you are generous. That's the gospel. God accepts you before you're generous because he accepts you in Jesus and because of his generosity. And so this offer is not about guilting us to be more generous, of just doing better and being more generous. It's about experiencing more of God, experiencing more of God's grace And then out of that, flourishing as God has intended us to flourish in radical generosity. So the offer stands, and it's exhilarating to over-accept it. It's always exhilarating to over-accept an offer. But let me tease you with what it would mean to over-accept this, to say yes and. Yes and, God, fill me with more of you. Yes and, show me ways that I can experience more of your grace and more of your freedom and more of your life. Yes, and 
Show me the self-centered dreams that I am chasing so that I can get rid of those and replace them with your dream for my, for my life. Yes, and orient me toward generosity and contentment and hope that you are making all things new. That's what over-accepting an offer looks like. So I, I want to take some time for us just to ponder that, to, to pray about that if, you, if you'd like to. I think we should have some silence to give us some space to think about right now because, again, how you spend your day, how you spend your moments is how you're spending your life. So the, the decision has to happen now. And if you decide to say no, please hear me that you are always welcome here. It is not my position to judge your response to this. Um, but it is my position, it is my responsibility to let you know that God loves you and God longs for you to experience more life. And the same is true for those of you who decide to say yes for, for religious reasons. It's not my position to judge. But I hope I've made it very clear that you cannot earn God's riches. It's not how life with God works. And if your response is yes and, it's challenging it's exhilarating and use this time to ask God for wisdom okay how am I going to live this out this isn't just going to be true this is going to be real I'm going to say yes and and it's going to make a difference because how we spend our days is how we spend our lives so let's take some silence and um, approach God with this now Father, your love for us is boundless. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating that love by being spent for us so that we could have life. And Spirit, we ask you to empower us to over-accept your offer and to experience more of your riches. And we ask this in your name.